Bocas del Toro, Panama. A secluded seaside hideaway. Scott Makeda has no idea that his tropical haven is about to become his personal hell. He literally said, I have the power of Satan. A serial killer pretending to be a therapist. Holbert rents a room and that's where he set up his business as a fake shrink. Accusations of a gringo mafia. Gun running, drugs. A slaughtered family. And then he goes back and he plants another bullet. A killer on tape. Hey man, I'm guilty. Everybody knows I'm a monster. The law of the jungle is simple. Survive. From Treefort Media and Village Roadshow Entertainment Group, this is Natural Selection, Scott versus Wild Bill. I'm your host, Candace DeLong. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. I actually, with, with after the raid, I hope they have something. Because if they don't have something, Inshallah. I don't know where that then puts us, you know? I, I just don't, I just don't know if there's, is there any... Has he done anything wrong that there could be evidence of wrongdoing? I just that's that's Come where on, I'm Jordan. skeptical. Keep the mind we just open. don't know. Is there is there that's any? Right, we, don't we, don't we don't know. We don't know this know. guy. He's it's not that. Now, now was this investigation? Was this the tax fraud or was it <laughs> oh, wait, the no. documents that we, that he was stealing? Oh, I thought or maybe was this was the coup or was it the coup? Which Jordan, was it? Was it the sexual assault? Was it the sexual? assault? It might have been the sexual. No, it could it could have been the university. Was it the fraud? Was it the university? Was it the donation fraud? It might have been the donation fraud. But, uh, Maybe it was the camp. Was it the porn star payoff? It might have been the porn star. I want to go back for a second. To Maybe the it was issue. Central Park Five. Had <laughs> anything to do with pushing the Central Park Five? Maybe, <laughs> Maybe it had to do with burying his wife in a in a golf course as a tax dodge. Maybe Look. it was that. I don't, we just don't know. Now, Jordan, the one interesting thing that I will say now is that I think it's very, very possible for the Democrats to hold on to the United States Senate. I think that we'll have to see how it plays, but a lot of these Republican candidates are just terrible, mm -hmm. and I think it's very possible um, that the Dems could hold on. I don't see them winning the House, but that's, a, that's for another day. Apparently, you, we're going to have some just, pollsters just at some point, you know. What do you, you say possible? Do you, you see, I know you're not a betting man, although technically you are a betting man. Ten dollars, right. Michigan OSU. Right. Would would you bet on the 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 Dems holding the Senate? I, I I don't know how you know. For example, in Pennsylvania, how this guy Doctor Oz is going to perform versus this guy Fetterman, who's I don't know if he's you know he's had the stroke. I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, I I do not expect that the candidate Herschel Walker in Georgia would win that election. I I don't think I think I think Warnock will hold on there. But there's a number of them up, including you were just in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, you know the candidate re-election for Senate uh, Johnson. I mean how he does, but it's very very close. And uh, and frankly, the biggest reason why there's questions is because the Republican candidates and they did this before are not the strongest. And some of that credit, of course, goes to your friend, Donald Trump. So my pal, thanks, thanks for your, your <laughs> thanks buddy for sh shouting all, all the connections. <laughs> and I actually have. mine too. So there we go. <laughs> you know him better than I do. I know his, I know his people, you know, you've, you've his been peeps. in the room. I know his, his peeps. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Why don't you bring old, uh, why don't you bring our guy in? I got, we, we got, we got a, a great guest on today who I'm, I'm fascinated. I just finished his book, uh, 
evocative, provocative book. He's a longtime political consultant and a writer at large at the Bulwark. He was the spokes, uh, spokesman for the Republican National Committee during Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign, the communications director for Jeb Bush's 2016 presidential campaign, and the former political director for Republican Voters Against Trump. His new book, the bestseller, Why We Did It, a travelogue from the Republican Road to Hell, is available now. Tim Miller, thanks for joining us. Gentlemen, yeah, go out and buy it. Uh, bestseller, thank you for having me. And uh, you did not list in my bio an important, uh, an important, uh, just early uh, political engagement that I have. I believe that I was the, the one John Kasich for president supporter in 1999 in Colorado. I was a high school Republican interning for Bill Owens and Governor Owens told me good things about John Kasich while everybody else was getting on the Bush bus or the McCain train. I was like, I like this Kasich guy. Uh, so I was there for you. And I was a teenage John Kasich supporter in in uh, in Colorado in 1999. It didn't didn't work out for us like a lot of the other campaigns I worked on. So maybe I jinxed you. <laughs> well, listen, um, it, it, the, the thing, Tim, that being as look, you've been involved with McCain, Huntsman, Bush. I mean, those are all sort of the establishment people. Um, I mean, the most important question for me with you is having been involved in, in working there with Jeb and everything. Did you ever did you ever imagine that Trump was going to rise when you first started to watch him? What was your feeling about that? Well, uh, you know, so I, we went over my bio there, and you know, in '08, I, I ended up go, working for McCain. Um, basically, I, I came to love John McCain, but I, I basically did it because uh, it was a career move, uh, and he was the early front runner, and someone had gone to hire me. And then in 2012, I went at, for my heart with John Huntsman, uh, my little moderate Republican heart. And then in, in 16, when I was interviewing with the various candidates, I just. Jeb to me like blended those in in in, in such a way. He actually knew why he was going to run for president. I do. I unless you want me to gossip, I don't want to gossip about some of the other candidates I interviewed with who seemed to not know why they were why they wanted to run for president or really anything about being. Well, let me president. stop you there. So when when you you don't have to give the names, but when yeah. you. What do you mean by that? They didn't know. Like, would you ask them why do you want to be president? Yeah. And they couldn't, and they couldn't answer. Yeah, basically, I, you really? know, at the end of one of the interviews, I, they, you know, that's I, what I killed Teddy you Kennedy. You remember Teddy Kennedy? Yeah, it is when, the old Teddy. I stole yeah, this, right? Yeah, but yeah. it's the old thing, you know, Governor Kasich, and they'd ask me, well, what do you? What do you want to know from us? And I'd usually say, well, first, like, what would you want out of a communications director, a press person? What's, you know, how does how does that relationship work? And then the other question I would ask is, like, why do you want to do this? Like, is your heart in this? What what do you want to get out of it? And, you know, I would get like a, a college Republican uh, chicken dinner speech from them, uh, you know, about, well, well we're going to repeal Obamacare. And I'm like, right. OK, but like, why do you really want to be the president? And, and couldn't answer. Jeb knew. He knew what he wanted to do. He'd seen his dad and his brother in there. He had a very fully formed idea of what a policy agenda would look like about about the people, the American people he wanted to help. And so, you know, when I interviewed with him, I really it was really kind of love at first sight. And I think I blocked out the pretty obvious challenges that he was going to have um, that, you know, that became clear pretty early in the campaign. And so I, by October, I had a really good sense that it wasn't going to happen for us. Um, uh, but uh, but early on, uh, he was my political dreamboat. And he still is. I love Jeb. And then what, what how about on seeing Trump rise? Was that yeah. shocking to you? 
Well, at first, like most people, I you know thought he was a joke. I, I remember just I was I remember standing outside of a Bed Bath and Beyond in Miami. You know, I just moved there for Jeb's campaign. I was getting some sheets and uh, just screaming at Sean Hannity and Jake Tapper in back-to-back calls, asking them why they were giving this clown any attention. He has no hope. He's not serious. Like you guys are helping him. Like what is the point of this? And, um, and you know, so that early phase, I was, that's what I thought this was. I thought it was a stupid PR stunt. I think Trump might've thought it was a stupid PR stunt at the beginning, by the <laughs> way. Uh, so I don't know that I was uh, uh, that far off, uh, but it was about a month in, I don't know if you remember this governor, but the Trump goes to the Iowa state fair and he lands that Trump plane in the field uh, in Des Moines and he gets off the plane and there's a, he holds a press conference and he starts attacking Kalumba, Jeb's wife and starts calling him low energy. And I'm watching the YouTube feed of this. I'm watching my Twitter feed and people are just exploding with like laughter and retweets. And, and I'm starting to think, wait a minute, this is a different animal. Like this is not Herman Cain. Like this is somebody that can manipulate the media. That's going to drive the conversation. Nine, nine, nine. Wasn't that the, what was it? Yeah. Was nine, it? nine, 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 nine. It took many, his... many, many Stan. It was my Becky, sl- Becky, yeah, Becky yeah. Stan. Yeah. Yeah, my, my slogan, my campaign uh, message is nine nine nine. You know, <laughs> it was not that. So I, so but that I think that Wednesday Iowa State Fair, June or July, it was only about a month or two in. I recognized that he was serious. I still, I will have to admit this. I even at the late date of the following winter, even after Jeb got out, I joined our principals pack, which was which was at the time a group that went to was you know opposing Trump in the Republican primary. All the people in our principles pack, except me and one other person, ended up supporting Trump in the general election. So it's kind of a weird name in retrospect um, to call it our principles pack. But I started this anti-Trump pack, and and I really did genuinely believe that Ted Cruz or Marco or or you, um, though I thought you were probably the third most likely, uh, would gain enough momentum to beat them in a head-to-head. I, I, it just it just it was hard for my little brain to wrap my head around the fact that this kind of manifest incompetent could get over 50, right? I, I got that there was about a third of the party that would get behind him and, and, and I saw his staying power, but I really did think he was going to get beaten. So I, you know, I don't count me as the political Svengali on, uh, on seeing him actually winning the primary and the general. I mean, it's fascinating. You mentioned that principles pack and this is what your, your book delves into that yeah. this is an anti-Trump pack that everybody but you then goes and works for Trump. And <laughs> Which is why, and and you start to you talk about that allure, and and to be fair, you talk about this as well. You were seduced. You yeah. you ran spin for Scott Pruitt's EPA underneath Trump, and so yeah. the uh, allure of that administration or the functionality of having a job in and of itself uh, was part of what uh, is it fair to say you were grappling with in this book? Yeah, I mean, so look, a lot of people have written Trump's great books, Trump's terrible books. Plenty of those out there in the market. Plenty of books about. All the crazy shit. Can we cuss on this podcast? All the crazy shit that was happening behind the scenes in the White House. You know, the ketchup on the wall. Uh, you know, Maggie Haberman with the toilet bowl. Plenty of books about that. I, I can't compete with these people. The thing that I felt like was missing, and that I was still grappling with, was like, why? I, I he, we he was so obviously incompetent. And everyone knew it, right? I know Governor Kasich, I'm sure, will agree with this. Like all of our friends, all of our colleagues, people that worked with me, very few people, you know, back in 2016 were like, I love this guy. You know, almost all of them were like, he's dangerous, um, he's a threat, he's a bigot, he's an idiot, whatever, um, all of the above. And and then almost all of them went along with him. And and so I really wanted to write a book that kind of grappled with why. Like, how did that happen? How did I 
how was I part of this ecosystem where everyone that was swimming around next to me, you know, felt like it was the smart thing to do to go sidle up to the shark. And, 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 and I really just, despite the fact that these are all my friends and colleagues, I still didn't really get it, you know, because in casual conversation, you don't, you don't just go there right with people. Um, uh, and you know, unless you're a few pops in. So I went and I, I really reflected on my own actions and then I went and interviewed anybody that was willing to interview with me and just kind of asked that question. And, and, and I think the Pruitt thing that you mentioned was the stark ex- example of me looking at my own actions. How did I, what happened to me? And like the answer is Trump wins in 2016. I'm a political hack. I'd been a political campaign operative since 1998, as I was just saying, uh, a teen, I was a teenage nerd political intern supporting John Kasich for president. And, and what, what I was like, what else am I going to do with my life? You know, am I going to, I'm not going to go be a shepherd, right? Like, what am I going to do? And so uh, Scott Pruitt had endorsed Jeb. He called me. He said, hey, you know, I'm going to take a lot of heat. I'm going to take a lot of arrows in this confirmation. Will you help me prep for it? And I was just in this dark, emotional place. I didn't know what to do. And so I said, yes, it was just inertia. I was like, well, this is what I do. I'm a political PR person. So now Trump has won. What else am I supposed to do? And and it took me a few months to kind of shake free from that and be like, no, this is over a red line for me. You know, I can't actually give Scott Pruitt good advice. The advice I want to give him is that he should quit. Um, and so I stopped and, and kind of went this new path. But I, I, I tell that story because, you know, of all of the justifications and rationalizations people had for going along with Trump, you know, some of them are very bombastic, self-important. Oh, I'm going to save the country. We need good people in there. Some of them are very selfish. I want money. I want access. Some of them are mundane and banal. They were just like, I, well, I don't know what else I'm going to do. Inertia of, of my career and life. You know, you're a mid-level oil man at BP and there's a spill. What do you do? Not going to the office the next day, right? And so that I felt like was one element of this that I think people miss. And I wanted to kind of explore that in greater depth. So, you know, with Jeb, you look at he had the money. You, you say he has the ideas. I've always thought that the key was money and ideas. Uh, if Trump had not gotten that publicity, okay, which was about a billion dollars worth of press, yeah. what do you think would have happened? You remember that famous quote from the guy from CBS? He said, Trump may not be good for the country, but he's sure good for our bottom line. Um, yeah. I'm not sure he would have made it if it if they hadn't been out there uh, giving him all. The, remember, they were actually focusing on an empty podium before he would get there in oh, order I to remember. drive drive up their numbers. Right? I was I was yelling at the CNN execs. I did a lot of yelling back then. I've 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 chilled. Um, uh, so it's a good question. It's a counterfactual. Here's why I am skeptical. I don't know if Trump would have won, but where I think someone that's outside of my political lane would have won. And, and here's why. I, I remember a time I was with Jeb on a plane coming, I think, back from my from New Hampshire to Miami or something. And he was a little down and a new poll had come out. I think at that time it was like Trump 40, Cruz 30, you know, Jeb 8, Kasich four, right? Something like that, right? Like it just, we were getting crushed. And I said to him, I said, look, if the Republican electorate, if 70, 75% of them want Trump or Cruz, there's nothing that Jeb Bush can do. Nothing. Like, like it is the, the nature of the fact that you're an establishment person, that it's your family, the nature of your temperament, that you're not angry, that you're not mad at the left and the liberals. Like, like these are the things that are not connecting. And so you can't fake that. You can't go change your name. You can't pretend to be Donald Trump. You're not. You're Jeb Bush. 
And so you shouldn't worry about that. You should be free and just run your own campaign. And I think I just I do I think that was right. I think that the Republican electorate, if you look at it right now, is not interested in in policy ideas, frankly. I mean, I think that they're yeah, interested but, but Tim, in let, punishing let's, let's the other about, side. Yeah. Let's think yeah, about sure, this sure. for a second. Because in New Hampshire, as you know, I beat them all except Trump. That's true. And so uh but when Trump I look, doubled you up. Yeah, and as I look at, but when I look at why he got the press and why they became legitimate, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure it would have happened if he hadn't been put up there on the stage and people had not reported all that. I mean, that's just a, a theory. We'll never know. Sure. But uh, you know, you get that kind of free publicity. It's just it's unbelievable. But if you don't have money and ideas and you can't project the ideas and if you don't have the money i mean i think money's become you know we've said this since the beginning of time that money's a real problem in politics how would you how would you address the money issue if you could be uh king for a day all right so here yeah so here's my uh where my old conservatism still comes back up i i just kind of reject that i don't like trump didn't have money or ideas and he when he won pretty handily um, he was given the free publicity. You're right. Um, but I think if you look at these primaries that are happening right now, a lot of people that really aren't offering any ideas, except for the fact that they think the 2020 election was stolen or winning primaries without a ton of money. Maybe that's their big idea. Um, but I, I think that there is a there is a money in politics problem at lower levels, house races, things like that. Um, I, I think that, there, that, you know, I didn't I don't I don't love the fact that Obama broke the old campaign finance system at the presidential level where there was, you know, kind of a minimally publicly financed system. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that, I guess. I think that the super PAC nonsense has gotten out of control. But, you know, the McCain- I, I don't fine- know if that works, but Jordan, just to give you a sense of this, when what happens is when you file, okay, your money, if you don't have money, you get no press. And if you don't get no, any press, you don't get any money. It's it's a really weird thing. And it is possible for people to break out having no money, but it's extremely difficult. You have to have the ideas, the ideas without the money or the money without the ideas doesn't work. But I want to go back and just make it clear. They estimated that Trump had about a billion dollars worth of free press. Now, if I was getting a billion dollars worth of free press, I wouldn't need any money either. But normally you have to pay for that. So what I'm suggesting to you, Tim, is that, um, and I don't know it's the same worn out ideas, but if you don't have the money, they don't write about you. That's why they write about Jeb. They wrote about Jeb because he had $100 million. They wrote about him all the time, about how much money he raised, and he was the, the leader and all that stuff. Yeah. And then then it all kind of went flat that, because- yeah, I, With respect, I just disagree. I just don't think that yeah. that is right. I just disagree with that. I, I just do. I don't. I think that, look, if you look at what ha- just happened in the Pennsylvania race, Kathy Barnett comes out of nowhere, yeah. almost wins the Pennsylvania Senate race with no money. You can right now raise money. Most of the money raising is happening is small dollar money from people who can say, I think this is a bigger problem. The more insane stuff you say, the more mm-hmm. they book you on Fox. Yeah, that's the point. more you can raise small dollar money. And so it's not like this big corrupt. It's not like the old days where you're bringing a big cash of money in from Jack Abramoff. So I, I, I think that I, I look, I think you have great ideas, uh, Governor Kasich. So this is not me, Chris. I, what I'm saying is the Republican base. I honestly think that if you'd gotten a billion dollar free press or Jeff did uh, or John Huntsman had like we, they, we, we still wouldn't have won uh, because what the Republican base wanted. And maybe this is an idea, just not in the way I think of them, because it's not a policy idea. What they wanted was somebody who was going to say, I'm going to fight back for you against the left and the people you hate. That's and that is what is the animating feature 
of Republican voters right now. That is, those are the candidates that they are. They're yeah, attracting themselves six to years at the along. federal level. Oh, yeah, I agree. Level. But we're six years along in that, and yeah. it started in it started in sixteen. I, and if you know, that's what I mean. That's what, I don't think that in sixteen. I think it was people who felt as though they weren't being listened to. So I agree with you on that. But mm-hmm. things have dramatically changed here in the in the six years since that first started sure. with him. But whatever. It's, I, but I will say this: when I'm out, I'm on the road. I'm talking to folks. I think what also has I think this media landscape has shifted so dramatically that it's not centralized. I think, of course, Trump had all this free publicity, but I do think he utilized the tool of the time, and the conversation was Twitter, and Twitter amplifies mm. extreme voices, yeah, and, and he was able to stoke that, and I think able to start those conversations, and I see people who are on the fringe who are using, whether it's true social social media, and I go and I talk at Trump rallies to people, ask them where they're getting their news, and it is the fringiest of fringe places, and so I think the conversations are taking place uh in these smaller corners uh, on on free accessible social media sites that tend to highlight more extreme rage filled i think tim you used the term rage juice being the drug <laughs> that fuels people yeah. that that does feel i mean the cynic in me i i want to i want to believe that that good ideas and solutions will rise above and actually we just talked to to liz smith who talked about Buttigieg attempting to find that but i am cynical about that idea as as that being something that is will be amplified in the ecosystem that we have. We'll be right back. Oh, my stars, Steve. My stars and stripes. We have some exciting news. Shall we tell them? We should reveal that Shinwag is hitting the road again and going on a West Coast tour. Yes, that's right. If you missed us in your fair city, truly, friends, don't fret, don't fear, don't have a panic attack. <laughs> Do not panic. We will be recording live chinwags in May in Los Angeles, Portland, and Seattle. Yes. In L.A., we'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on May 14th. You can go to chinwagpod.fm slash Los Angeles for tickets. And on May 16th, we're going to be in Portland at Revolution Hall. For those tickets, go to chinwag.fm slash Portland. And we'll be at Town Hall, the great town hall in Seattle on May 17th. For tickets to that, go to chinwagpod.fm slash Seattle. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mighty, mighty. So get your tickets at chinwagpod.fm and we will see you there. Come on out, waggers. Come out, waggers. Come out. (laughs) Come out of hiding. <laughs> and now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, the and the conservative media ecosystem is also just a different animal. This is not to say that there's not liberal media and liberal social media that that is that is pernicious. There is. But, but there's been an entire ecosystem that has now developed, which has also changed in the last six years, to your point, Governor Kasich, but, and, but you know, which started back in the 80s, but just has slowly grown and, and become a, a, a self-contained animal. And so like when I when I write about, which is why the book is called Why We Did It, not Why They Did It, because I didn't go along with Trump, but Why We Did It, I talked about 2014 and I was working at America Rising. And I was and I we I was at the at the I was a node in this conservative media ecosystem because I was providing them a lot of opposition research about Democrats, you know, news of the day. Here's what you guys should talk about. Here's we can get you on Drudge, all that sort of stuff. And I look back at that, and we had these sort of bumpers that we put on. You know, like I had these mental norms in my head where if somebody came to me and said, Hey, 
some Democratic candidate's kid is like a crackhead. And we found this video where he's in his tidy whiteies. Like, can we put that out? I would have been like, eh, probably not. Right. Like, I don't, you know, unless that there's something that is directly tied to the candidate, like, let's not touch that. Like, that's not good. Or, you know, if, if somebody in my staff like made an argument, said, let's attack them based on this, I would say, well, that's a, a lie. Right. Like, that's not really true. And so, you know, we had these little bumpers that we put on. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure people at Fox feel that way. But but once once you get into this ecosystem where you're feeding people rage juice every day, the the it becomes consumer driven, like anything else in a capitalist market. Consumers go to find their fix, and so they start to go to other places. They start to go to these more extreme sites, like you lay out, Jordan. And I and 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 I, do, I just don't feel like we saw this coming. You know, people who were less. Um, you know, who didn't put any bumpers on, who didn't have, who didn't care about lying, who didn't care about gaslighting, who didn't care about conspiracies. And, and a funny thing happened after I published this book. I got called by somebody at Breitbart. And a Breitbart person said, man, great book. You really nailed it. You understand what's happening in the conservative media ecosystem. But one thing I think you should have given us credit for over here at Breitbart is that we didn't go along with the total crazy Kraken conspiracies about the election. Like that was over at Newsmax. And I loved that story because I was like, this is what I'm talking about. I was like, back in 2014, it was Fox who was like, ooh, the Breitbart guys are pushing the envelope too far. And now the Breitbart guys are like, ooh, those Newsmax guy, a gateway pundits pushing the envelope too far. And, and it's just this race to the bottom that's never stopping and nobody's taking accountability for it throughout that ecosystem. They're just kind of letting it, uh, you know, letting the the tail wag the dog. What would you do about it, Tim? I mean, w- what would you do to try, you know, I was coming back from Chicago and there was a lady standing in line next to me. She was so angry. Oh, she was angry at me, but she was so angry about, you know, Joe Biden and socialism and and I, I tried to say hey, no what no no let let me just oh, she would I mean no matter what however I would try to approach her to does say that happen you, I, sorry does that does that happen often Governor are, are you approached by people time. who are frustrated it doesn't does it really and, well but most of the time and the lady ended up she, she was very nice she's oh it's so nice to talk to you and all that I get approached all the time but. Most of the time, Jordan, when people come to me, they say, we're really glad that you've always stuck to your guns and, you know, thank you for, you know, and I'm like, that's not that hard for me. But <laughs> um, but what what is interesting is how do you crack that? In other words, how do you get people to, to move away from only absorbing what they uh, agree with? And it, it's just, they, they, that's the, the most important question. How do we get some return to where people are able to see somebody else's point of view, because that's when we're happiest. We're not happy in a family when we're fighting with one another. We're happiest when we are able to get along and have a nice time. Yeah. So how do we, how do we, what do you think we have to do to get us back there? Yeah. Well, uh, you, you, you should note, um, or Jordan, if you made it to the end that, um, my editor was like, usually these books have a last chapter that answers that question that you just <laughs> asked. Uh, Governor Kasich, this book doesn't have that. Because I, was <laughs> I was like, like appendix. I, I was like, this, yeah. oh, this is just going back. Oh, okay. It's over now. It's over. Yeah, it's over. Um, uh, so I just, I just ended it. I don't want to ruin the ending for people, but it's a sad end, but I have some thoughts about this. I just don't think that they really match the challenge. I think that this is a generation in, in, in the making, you know, this sort of this tribalism, this hatred of, of our fellow countrymen. And so there's not like, a oh, if we just, right. you know, fix the gerrymandering or something, then it'll get yeah. fixed overnight. No, it's going to be a generation in fixing. But some thoughts. One is it's incumbent for Republican leaders to 
actually respond to people's legitimate grievances and not stoke their illegitimate and fantasy ones. So, I mean, I can't make them do that, but, but I think in retrospect, you know, you look back and I think there are a lot of Republican voters that were legitimately pissed about the border, about um, the wars, you know, about various things, uh, other, other, their communities being hollowed out. And I think that a lot of us in the Republican elite class didn't respond to that. And so I understand that they're mad. Okay, now they have some illegitimate fears, right? Like the, some of the racist fears, uh, the conspiracies about the election. Okay, so in, a, in a, another counterfactual I have is what if Republican leaders had been responding more responsive to the legitimate grievances? Yeah. Would those illegitimate ones have have sprouted? I don't I'll know. Give you, I'll that, give you, let me give you a good example right now of how I think they didn't respond. And that is what they stripped out of the whatever that bill they call it, the anti-inflation bill. It's, it's not an anti-inflation bill, but they stripped out this or tried to use some parliamentary technique to knock out the insulin cap. And yeah, right. that was a terrible mistake, in my opinion. Right. And, you know, frankly, the people that make most of the money in this stuff are the middlemen. Um, and it's just uh, very disappointing. And what's going to be interesting, Tim and Jordan, is I believe Republicans are going to win the House. Then the question is, what is their agenda? You know, what do they do? I remember back in 94... I wanted to put a plan out as to how we could get to a balanced budget. And they were like, oh, we don't need to do that. You'll just get attacked and criticized and they'll just tear us down. I said, no, no, we have to have an agenda for moving forward. And fortunately, the leadership agreed and we end up having one. We won the majority. Then we knew what to do. I just don't know what kind of an agenda they will have in, in the House, what, what, their, what their real solutions are to these problems. And I think it I think it doesn't bode well for the party. I mean, we're just going to have to see what they have, but I don't know what what they want to do. Do you? I don't. No. I have no clue. They don't want to do anything. Like is the thing. Like they don't have a proactive agenda because they became slaves to Trump, and Trump doesn't know what he wants. He just has an ADD addled brain, just just ramp. So I, this is why I think things are getting worse. People are grabbing onto the fake. And stuff. you went to work for him. Come on. I didn't go to work for Donald Trump. <laughs> no. I, I helped Scott Pruitt on his All confirmation, right. which I shouldn't have done. I never worked right. for Donald I know. Trump. You, you've, you've confessed. I got Okay. I, I opposed, I, excuse me. I opposed Donald Trump in 15. I voted I for know, Hillary no, no, freaking no. Clinton. I'm, I'm just I voted kidding. for Hillary just, Clinton. I'm just, just I'm saying. Just, I'm just what teasing. What do you want? Do people want from me? I voted for Hillary. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, uh, just really quick. One other thing, though, on the media side, because Jordan might disagree with on this. This is my critique of the left. I think oh, here one, we go. Oh, uh, watch out, watch out. Oh, no, no. One, you're not allowed to bring that up. There are no critiques of the left. They're perfect. <laughs> yeah, you've got to understand. Um, one way I think this, which, which some people are going to cringe about, I think to sort of bring people back into – you know, hearing about different points of view is there actually are media outlets out there that do appeal across partisan tribal lines. It's just like the left likes to tiss, tiss them like the Rogan show. I don't agree with Joe Rogan on everything, but some of the, but I just, the, the, the Republican base is never going to start listening to the New York times and CNN. It's just not like it's over. Like it's just over as far as credibility is concerned. I, I'm not, I, I'm not casting blame on whose fault that was, but but you know this is a bad marriage, and it's and it's done. So there's alternate media outlets, and I, and I and it's frustrating to me that like the Democrats don't try to engage in that world in in Rogan in Barstool, and you know this is not you know obviously high minded serious investigative journalism, but it's a way to get to pe people to start saying okay wait these guys are 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 not 
Republican Party hacks, right? Like, like they're pro, they have a mix of views, right? Like, you know, they might be pro choice and pro gay marriage, but also not like what's happening, you know, the DEI packets in schools. And we can discuss and debate that. And, and I think that sometimes that gets shut down right now. Like those, those spaces are getting, are getting shut down. And I, I don't, I don't like that. I, you know, and I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think, I think there's a purity test on the left that is not at all helpful. Um, but I, I empathize with it. It feels like I think a lot of people on the left feel their backs are up against the wall. And so anybody who's not marching in the same direction becomes a threat. Uh, I guess it was interesting as I, as I read your book and I do think, and I want to even get into, I think you actually articulate, um, a lot of the different types of people who were enablers of Donald Trump in a really early thoughtful way that was helpful for me to categorize it. But thank you. Overall, I found this book depressing because of what you said about it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a fascinating read. The, the game of politics is depressing and at many times unethical and it is a game and I, and I understand all of that. And I wonder how much is embedded into it because something that I thought you were very open about uh, being gay in the Republican Party and working for people who were homophobic, who are literally working against your own interests and rights, and then you even internally having reactions more so to their gaffes supporting uh, gay rights than you did to how those things would affect you, which honestly is, was was jaw-dropping, but but very open to me because there, there's so, so many times we have these conversations about if we could just do this thing and give the people what they want. And I think you articulated, like you're working against your own self-interest because the game in and of itself is is frankly cancerous. And I, I'm wondering, is there is there room for this type of growth within the game? Or are we we talking about a system that is much like the conversation in the media eco chamber? Are we talking about the system within the political realm that has space to to let good ideas rise? So I, I, I think that if you look, politics has always been a game and always been corrupting, right? Like there's always been people who want power. And so what I try to write about is the current culture and why I think it's particularly pernicious, right? If you go back to, let's look, think about George H.W. Bush, right? This is not a perfect man. His campaign certainly used some hard knuckle tactics. Uh, he tried to win elections. You know, he had Lee Atwater on his team. He had, you know, they, they ran some really tough ads, some ads that maybe uh, gilded the lily a bit different ways. But then when he was president, it's like, I'm going to try to be president for everybody, right? Like, I this is the part of, this is the public service part about public service. There's a campaign that's a game, the competition, maybe a better word than game. And then there's the public service part. And, and what I think has happened is that partly because of the media, partly because of kind of the celebrification of politics, partly because of the fact that, that a, a game show host took over the party and like increasing nihilism, like this game has eaten all of the public service element of it. And there are very few people who who actually are are put first you know what is in the public interest and and we just saw like the, the the most prime example of this is just what just happened with the burn pits and all that right like they're mad that joe manchin like went around you know went around them and cut the reconciliation deal and so now we're going to vote against this thing that we're for it's like you know it's all crazy and, and 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 in campaign life this gets exaggerated just look at your emails and your texts the people writing these emails and texts are like the world's coming to an end and like the election was stolen and fraud like they don't believe this shit. They don't believe it. I know these people that are writing these camp, these, you know, that work at these digital firms, but but they want to raise the most money that day. 
you know, small dollar money. Uh, they want to they want to win the news cycle. They want to do this. And and I do think that particularly on the Republican side, there's an element of this on the Democratic side. There's also another different element, which I could talk about if you want. But particularly on the Republican side, that now you become the turd in the punch bowl if you're the one in a meeting who's like, guys, I don't know, is this really true? You know, are we really overstating it? Because people think, you know, because the culture is such as like, no, winning, owning the libs, you know, drinking liberal tears. This is the number one thing. And I do think that that culture is out of control and that there and that there has to be a way. And I'm, I hope the book, uh, some I do have friends still in Republican politics and some of them read it. We can sort of bring back this balance of like, OK, you can be in a competition. Politics is a competition, but also have integrity, have red lines, care about what, you know, what you're doing to the broader body politic. And, and I think that there was a time, I, I don't think that that's Pollyanna to say there was a time where that was more of the commonplace attitude about politics and that that's gotten lost. I, I, I'm curious in, in reference to the fact that you, you were dealing with, uh, you, you had to come out in a Republican party that was anti-gay yeah. rights. Do you yeah. see, like, how is that comparable to the folks who are dealing with their uh, not supporting Trump, but having to get onto the, the Trump train? Yeah, I tried to make this comparison, right? Uh, so I'm, it was, you know, coming out of the closet in the Republican Party was hard. But I think the more interesting thing is the fact that I continued to work for politicians that wanted to block me from the most important part of my life. Do, we see any, do I have any of my kids stuff sitting around here, which is my marriage and my kid? Like I've worked for politics that were against gay adoption, right? Like, how did I do that? Well, I, I, I saw myself as this polit- as a political operative who was whose goal was to help my clients win, and like that's what was enlivening to me. I mean, I still I cared about policy, like you know, it's not it wasn't like I was a total sociopath, but but I was able to compartmentalize the fact that I disagreed with my candidates on certain things and focus instead on. Okay, how can we win? You know, what ta- what are the clever tactics I can employ, you know, that can help my candidate? How can I help my career? You know, what's going to make me seem like a badass dark artist, like political hitman that gets me hired? And and I just put the other stuff in a little box in my brain. And I just look back on that with guilt. And I just feel terrible, honestly, that I did that. But I just figured I'm just one, you know, I'm just one cog in this machine, right? Like, why should I take a big stand about the fact that why one one of my clients isn't for gay marriage? Like, you know, who cares? I'm just, I'm just a cog. I'm just, this is my career. And, and I think that mindset is, and, and so if I could do that and work for people that were going to deny me the most important thing in my life, I think that that sheds a light on how easy it is for some of the, all these assholes who know that Trump is terrible to continue working for him because they're all doing the same thing. They're like, this is my career. This is a game. I'm here doing this. I don't, I don't like that Trump does this, that, or the other thing. I don't like the tweets. I don't I didn't love, you know, blah, 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 the January 6th child separation, but I, you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm, I'm just a ad man or I'm just a PR person or I'm just a digital person or whatever. And, and that's how a lot of these folks justify it. And, and I think that, in a lot of their cases, they're very privileged and they're wealthy. And so they're not actually actually experiencing any of the harm that's happening from, from Trump. And so you start to, I'm not trying to give you gain empathy for these people, but just understanding. You start to understand, you know, the Hannah Arendt banality of evil element of all this. Well, you know, look, Tim and and Jordan, I, okay, now I get on my preaching soapbox. Okay, let's do it. But it but it's but it's everywhere. It's not just in politics. We just had a had a guy on who wrote a, who you know Danny Strong talked about the problem with opiates, 
and how many people had been participating in the distribution of this of you know the enormous distribution improperly of these drugs that can lead to addiction and death but you look at sports you look at business you look at hollywood you look at the media you look at everything i mean it really and, and so what you've had is you've had a conversion because what was what was bothering you internally is that you weren't being true to yourself or true to the things that you think are really important in life. I think there are a lot of people who were wealthy who loved Trump because they, they benefited from it financially. Shame on you. You know, at the end, how, ma- how many steaks can you eat? How many suits can you wear, right? And so what I'm saying is I don't think it's just an issue related to, to political decisions. I think it's across the board. And that's why it's fair to say does, or ask the question, does America have a values problem? What do you think, Tim? Yes, I'm so happy you said that because I did my best to write this book in a way that it's about politics. It's about me and it's about the, my friends and it's about the corrupt swamp as the, the, they've been become fond of calling it. Um, but but I, I, I was hoping that some of the, the message is is universal, right? Like that 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 there are plenty of examples of other people who are dealing with this in other walks of life who are like, uh, you know, Tim I'm Alberta, just a cog. I don't matter. This, yes, this is bigger just, than me. No, it's that's yeah. how the. I'm just see, trying the solution, to get mine. Yeah. The solution is for all of us individually to stand on the principles that we have, hoping hoping that these principles are sort of consistent among all of us in this society. That's what Jewish and Christian, Judeo-Christian ethic is. And I don't want to just limit it to that because it also can involve, you know, other religions. But there are certain principles about the way we're supposed to act and treat others. And that's why I think we have been drifting in terms of, I'm just a cog, you know, uh, I'm just mad about something. That's what we have to overcome, in my opinion. Although, do you see that? I mean, as as somebody who is an agnostic, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's where those values come from. In fact, I see more examples of them being weaponized. That doesn't mean that a humanist or, or anybody doesn't have good values. I'm not, I'm, I, I, but I don't think you can run a whole society if you don't have a compass that points in one direction. But I'm not here to run other people down other than to say <laughs> we have to all think seriously about how do we get, to, how do we so get just, told about where our values come from. You just want there to be from. Christian nationalism, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> If we could just bring some Christian nationalism back to this country, we'll get it all put back in the right order. I mean, are you are you asking me <laughs> if that's what I think? <laughs> but I want to tell you a really good story because you know I, I told you about the lady who was very angry because of all the socialists in Washington. Another but I big had a story. very interesting thing happen, and you know this, Tim. You know I didn't go to the convention in Ohio, which yeah. I brought to Ohio. Fair I enough. never supported Trump, and I got a call from a friend of mine been a friend of mine for a very long time who certainly sort of disowned me. And he called me the other day and he said, um, you are, vin- you have been totally vindicated because of, of what you said about Trump. There, are, there is hope to bring people along. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. What do you think about the raid, Tim, that happened at Mar-a-Lago? What is your sense of that? So I, I just I want to be positive first, and then I'm going to answer the raid question. I do think there's hope, and I do think, and this was I'm just so happy you talked about the broader values because I felt like my book was going to be not a failure, but wouldn't have achieved what I wanted if people didn't respond to it that way who are outside of politics. And I have heard from people who work on Republican campaigns, like you, like your friend right there, and people even outside Republican campaigns who said I read this and it's made me kind of reflect on 
on like whether I've been telling myself a comforting story and going along with something I know isn't that isn't perfectly ethical and that maybe I should, should go a new path. And like that, those have been the most rewarding responses to the book. And so I just, I'm so happy that that's that, that you brought that up, that that message is landing as far as the raid. Um, I'd love to meet that person who who you said uh, uh, called you and said you were vindicated because the thing that's been the most disheartening to me, though not unpredictable, is the response from the quote unquote good Republicans, our your old competitor Marco Rubio, our old competitor Marco Rubio. Before we even know, like what what he's was running for warrant, re-election, Tim. Yeah, yeah, before we even know what is on the search warrant, before we yeah. even know what right. is, you know, these guys are all, all you know all of a sudden going out and saying well, this is a banana republic, this is Cuba, and this is Marxism, this is war. And it's this is all over Fox. Like people on Fox were saying that, like, oh, the FBI is planting stuff. What happened? Finally, Steve Ducey this morning seemed to be the voice of reason for once. Uh, this is how ugly it's gotten. Or Ducey had to be like, I thought we backed the blue. How are we accusing these guys of planting evidence already? We don't have we don't know anything. Yeah. So I, I, I've been very disheartened by I, I'm hopeful that that DOJ's got the goods and that we can finally. You know, get rid of right. that. Not but aren't you also guy? disheartened but by disheartened. people? Who, aren't you also disheartened by people who don't like Donald Trump, who have to be concerned about the power of a federal government doing search and seizure in an inappropriate way? In other words, it's like whatever side you're on, except for those people who really study the issue of rights that are, you know, in our Constitution. Um, I I don't want we have reason to, break to down believe that, that seizure was inappropriate though. What well, we don't we, we don't know. Believe? We, we okay, don't so know. Why, so then why would we assume right. that it was inappropriate already? But why would we assume it is, or why do we think it's good? Because well, we can't get Trump on anything else, and we get him here. We should sit back and wait to hear what we have here. Because let me tell you, thirty or forty FBI agents going into your house. Or, or IRS agents going into your house. It's a serious issue. These people are powerful people, and we have to be careful that we don't have abuses of power. I don't know that there well, was here. I don't know. I'm not being know, investigated for right? like, I'm not being investigated for several different crimes, so I'm not okay. that concerned about the FBI coming into my home, but I agree with you. Look, FBI people, I mean, we have to be concerned about inappropriately. Cops act inappropriately. I agree with that, but why yeah. would people immediately come to Donald Trump's defense oh, and well, say, you, you "Oh, shouldn't. this guy's inappropriate"? No, I mean, like, there's plenty yeah. of reason to believe that he. I'm with you on that. I completely yeah. agree with you on that. We don't know, and I hope they find something, because if it, all it is is an overdue library book, we got a problem here. But this is a microcosm, right? I mean, I think like you're right, kid. You don't know. We don't. We don't. Know. But so right. what what happens in that absence of information? We fill it with bullshit. And I think even right now yes. we hear anxiety around like this is this is them taking steps that they shouldn't take. It's like Yeah. We it don't could know. Be. That's th that's not my know. instinct, but instead like already like there's a, I can hear the anxiety here and that's from a, a rational person who has been through all of this and that anxiety gets amplified by more radical folks and then it gets no, no, spoken I, I to agree. on fringe media things. Can I, I just know. throw out there one other thing that if it was an inappropriate search and seizure, I it, it is much much more likely that it was just an incompetence and an idiot judge than it was some sort of malevolent deep state attack from Joe Biden from on yeah, high to raid a, his a, house. Yes. I mean, like, this is the other thing. Like, 
Like, why, why do we always assume, you know, and this is what's happening in the media environment. You always immediately go to conspiracy, worst case scenario, catastrophizing yeah. rather than just simple human error. Humans make errors. I don't know. Maybe this was a magistrate judge yeah. who didn't think, you know, who didn't even consider the the national political con- consequences because he's just a some magistrate judge who who had evidence that was brought to him and it did, made the same ruling that he would if it was any yeah. other person. I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying that that happened. There is an issue of accountability. That, that seems much more likely to me. There is an um, issue of accountability. Sure. That's all I'm trying to say. This is you're not this is not a little trifle. This is a this is an, an enormous amount of power. It's like we were talking about police officers. I hadn't even thought of connecting it, but you're right about that. You know, police officers have enormous power. Yeah. And they have lately felt very disrespected, okay? But when you when you are a police officer and you have arrest capability and you carry a gun, you better be using that the right way. And if you are not using it the right way, there has to be a consequence to it. It's not just, oh, well, you made a mistake. We'll look the other way. That's not acceptable. So all I'm saying is on this, uh, I just get concerned about it. And I don't know where it's going to go. I Actually, with, with after the raid, I hope they have something. Because if they don't have something, Inshallah. I don't know where that then puts us, you know? I, I just don't. I just don't know if there's. Is there any? Has he done anything wrong that there could be evidence of wrongdoing? I just that's that's <laughs> where on, I'm Jordan. skeptical. Keep we just open. don't know. Is there? Is there that's any? We don't know. We don't, we don't know, know this guy. He's I'm not. Sorry, that, now, now, was this investigation? Was this the tax fraud, or was it <laughs> oh, wait, the no. document that we, that he was stealing? Oh, I thought or maybe was this was the coup, or was it the coup? Which Jordan, was it? Was it, was it the, the sexual assault? Was it the sexual? Oh, assault? It might have been the sexual. No, it could. It could have been the university. Was it the fraud? Was it the university? Was it the university? Was it the donation fraud? It might have been the donation fraud. But, uh, Maybe it was I the camp. Was it the porn star payoff? It might have been the porn star It might have been the porn star payoff. I want to go back for a second. To Maybe it was Central Park Five. <laughs> had anything to do with pushing the Central Park Five? Maybe, <laughs> Maybe it had to do with burying his wife in a... <laughs> In a golf course as a tax dodge. Maybe Look, it was that. I don't, we just don't know. I not We just only, don't know. I, 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 listen, this guy should be seen as a completely neutral person who doesn't put anything forth that we should make an assumption. Let me about. let me just let me just suggest this to you for a second. There is nobody in my party who stood up more aggressively and sooner against Donald Trump than I did. Nobody. Long before Liz Cheney or any of these other people. Okay, but I'm. Telling you that when it comes in, to can the we use of patriotic music, <laughs> well, you should. <laughs> well, you, you, you should I'm because I didn't help. I didn't even help Scott Pruitt. You know. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is this: I'm saying that for any American, we got to be careful when you see an aggressive use of force by the government. We have to be careful. Uh, and there's, I'm not making any excuses for the guy. I'm just saying to you: get him for what you can get him for, and let justice be done. Okay, I'm for that. I just don't want people. I don't like what they're doing on the right and saying we have to tear up the Constitution because they don't know. Enough said on that. I want to just go back to the values question here, Jordan, because <laughs> what I was saying is, you know, and if you read about the history of the 20th century, um, you read about how we went from a me environment to a we environment. It's been documented, and that was the rise of religion and faith. Um, which brought people together. Okay, but look, where do you think values come from? You think they just fall off a tree? 
Oh, I mean, I, does everybody have their own values? Can everybody just come up with whatever they think? Isn't that a problem in our country today? I, I think there is no emptier value than doing something because you fear death and where you could go. I think a true I, value comes from somebody who actually yeah. believes that. If, if you're not killing somebody because uh, a book somebody wrote 2,000 years ago tells you you shouldn't kill them, and if you do, you'll go to a bad place, if that is your value system, I think no. it's completely flawed. So, no. so I, think, I think values come from community. They come from internal moral Compass, and I think the okay, idea where does that, that come from? Where does it, the internal moral compass come from? Does that mean you just sit around and think it yourself? I mean, my, isn't my there a thing values? called a compass? I mean, I, isn't I, there a? I think I think values. That's I think it's a vague term. I think what you're really talking about are actions. I think they come from me, and I think religion is more often used as a way to remove people from the actions they take and attach it to a larger idea that shields them. And so for me, I think that people who are like, no, I make these choices. These are the people I choose to love, the actions right. I choose to take. Um, right. They are mine and mine alone. Like, are they from a book? No, they're, they're from me. They're from me. Right. And I, I got them from my family and my family uh, has passed uh, them down yes. and I've made choices to yes. amplify them and, and, yes. and I will but face those consequences. That no. to me is a value system. No, but you know what? And you got them from your family and your family got them from somewhere. You see, there is an essence of the fact that there is a higher power, whatever religion you want to talk about, that kinds of lays out a framework for how we're supposed to treat one another and treat others, including tra treating people who don't like us and don't agree with us. And when you take a look at these things that are, I'm just so interested in this because Tim said something happened in his conscience to say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm always interested in where does that come from? Because there's, there's a lot of people out yeah. there that pay no attention to this who are ignoring their conscience. Yeah. And so I say that if we all paid more attention to our conscience, but, you know, there are things that have happened in this world <laughs> where people relied on their own conscience without a set of values, and there was tremendous destruction to mankind. You, you don't think there's ever been any wars started based on a religious uh, <laughs> conviction? Well, you know, I would say this, distorted religion for sure. And that's what you have to be careful about, that you're not distorting it or abusing it for sure. Because there are, you know, just because I say I'm religious doesn't mean I am any more than if I stand in my garage and I say I'm a Volkswagen doesn't make me a Volkswagen. Sure. But the, prin the principles and the precepts of religion are about the way we treat one another and we treat our neighbors and our conscience and gives us direction. That's, that's, well, uh, unfortunately, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have a K name, so we can't add a third person <laughs> to this podcast. But as a classic centrist, I'm going to fall down in the middle of this one. Um, I don't, you know, I, you I, was, I was raised as a Catholic. And so um, I, the, uh, the gay stuff ended up being kind of in conflict uh, with yeah, that. And sure. like I created quite a bit of tension. Um, but I'll say this, I am, um, I think that there is a, you know, this, you, you have to, from somewhere inside you decide that, that actually that human, human life has dignity and human life matters. And whether you disagree with people or you, or you agree with them and that your actions as they contribute, as they impact other humans uh, matter. And, and that you, you know, you aren't just like one, you know, unique person walking through the world and whatever you do has no impact down, you know, downstream on others. And I think that once you, once you decide that, um, I think that has to impact the choices that you make, the career choice you make, what you're complicit in, what you, what you're enabling. And I think that that does, 
you know, that can be a humanist element of it. Like I, I specifically use that term, this belief that humans have value, but I also don't, don't, and I agree with there's that. some Jesuit themes that. that there's some Jesuit ethic from my good Jesuit education in there. And that, that obviously I come from, you know, that there's, there's a long history down before it. So I, I think that, you know, you can, you can take the ethic that comes from, from these religions and, uh, and, and enable them in humanist ways or in, and implement them in humanist ways. I, I mean, so and I, that's I, my middle ground. How do you like I, that? I like your middle ground. I will say that, and I, I do think, I, I wish we had a more moralistic society. I think we, we've lost the idea of treating people with respect and with dignity. And I think that is something that I wish could be instilled in this country. And I think you can have an argument over the ways in which to, uh, promote those values. Uh, I will say not to dig into it, but I do think, <laughs> I do think organized religion is, uh, shares a big, <laughs> There's a lot of, we, we look and we see these enablers, how we enable cult-like figures, how we give over to things that work against our own beliefs, and how we can show up and blindly follow. And I think we live in a country that for, for hundreds of years has consistently held that on a pedestal and as our moral center. And I think if you have a country that constantly goes off and every week people go to places and they believe in angels. I think then when Donald Trump comes in and a bunch of people show up and they believe in JFK Jr., I think there is some connection being made. There have been some disappointing responses from the religious community to Donald Trump. I think that is a fair thing to say. Yeah, I will say that there have been enormous breakdowns and feuding inside of the, uh, of the faith community uh, about politics and where it should be involved and and. Look, we just saw that movie on on Jim Baker and Tammy Faye. I mean, it's it's disgraceful uh, what they what they've done. On the other hand, you take a look at somebody who was motivated, and we'll use an extreme one, Mother Teresa, who put everything aside in the world to do something for other people, motivated by her faith. So there's just it's and but people that and and uh, you'll be you'll find this interesting, Jordan. When I was in that same airport in Chicago, they were having the Lutheran Evangelical Convention in Columbus, Ohio. And the guy come up to me, introduced himself, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're going to have a convention, we're going to have a meeting. I said, can I give you a suggestion? Stay out of politics and don't be crazy. Because there are many people of faith now who are so upset with people who have been blinded in a very negative way about it. And um, we're just talking about the purity of it and not people that that's what I'm talking about, the purity of it and not those who use it for their own personal gain. But look, we're back to the value question. That's what we need. Tim, you say you don't have an answer. If people aren't going to stop and look at somebody else and treat their neighbor with respect, there ain't no climbing out of this. And it's going to take time. It's going to take time to get this fixed in my judgment. Third party. <laughs> what do you think about the third party? I mean, so, we got one so started. What do you think? So here's my problem with the third party. I don't mind it. You And maybe you'll like this, Governor Kasich. I don't know. Um, but uh, unfortunately, what I see is a lot of the people talking about a third party are all with are all within the Joe Biden coalition, basically. I, like if your third party group is is all people that voted for Joe Biden, then I don't think that you're a third party. You're just a faction within the Democratic Party. You just don't like other parts of the Democratic Party. That's fine. In a two-party system, you're not going to like other parts of the party. If somebody came to me with a third party that said, okay, I've got a plan here to win a quarter of the Donald Trump voters. And 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 this is important. This is important. A quarter of them. You know, Joe, like uh, Ross Perot won like 19, 17, 19 percent of, of, of Republicans. He got zero electoral votes. So you got to win 25 percent. 
So think about who the twenty, who the twenty fifth percent Trump voter is. That person loves Donald Trump. They watch Fox. They are concerned about critical race theory in schools. They are with Trump on the culture wars. Like, I'm not talking about the two percent of country club Trump voters who don't really like him that much. Twenty five percent. So how do you get? that person in your new third party what are you going to offer that appeals yeah. to them if you if, i would love to see somebody come forth with that but then what i think happens is once you start appealing to that person then you start losing people from the andrew yang side of your third party because they're like well i don't want to be in a party with that guy that guy is on the trump side of the culture war so i so there's this you know yeah. uh you, you, once you pull on one side you, you know the the water leaks on the other side so i'm open to it but what i don't want is a bunch of people from within the Joe Biden coalition to, to start a new third party when they just what they really are just a faction of the Democratic Party and should do what we've been doing for years, which is fight primaries to put up people that you like within that within that party. So that that's one of the really thick. Let me give you one, one, other, you one other one I want you to comment on, and that's ranked choice voting. And Jordan, this is an important one because and they've tried, you know, they're experimenting with it. I think in Alaska, maybe some yeah. they've done some of it in California, maybe York, in New, Oregon. New, New York's uh, our, our local elections were ranked yeah. choice voting. Because what that could do, Jordan, is it, it could end up stopping these extreme primaries where either party has to go to the left. But I don't know. I, I that's why I'm asking Tim what he thinks about yeah. this ranked choice voting or something that stops this this extremism in the primaries. Yeah, I like ranked choice voting. I don't, it's a little complicated. The New York yeah. mayor thing, it gets a little, and that worries me about trust in voting. I really like jungle primaries. This is not a panacea, but if you notice, the only two Republicans voted to impeach Trump who survived came out of jungle primaries. Uh, jungle primary is when there, there isn't partisan primaries. Everybody is put into one pot in June, and then the huh. top two go forward. Uh, I like that as 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 something um, as a way to get outside of it. That's a really interesting. That's really interesting what you just said, yeah. uh, Jordan. It's a really. I mean, the two, the couple people that survived weren't in that like that Peter Meyer up there where the Democrats, right. by the way, were putting money yeah, in the exactly. other guy's campaign. Horrible. But if you could figure out a way to, uh, you know, they all tend up ended up being a little partisan though because what it's a wink 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 but maybe the rank cho- I don't know but I know that we two. can't keep doing it the way we're doing it. I have right? one other thing that I do like um which is related to third party thing and if Andrew Yang and those guys are listening this is my advice to them is I do think at a local level at a state level you know that um here in California for example I think basically like a second democratic party that's more center left could work. I think that in Texas or Arizona, you know, not Arizona, Alabama in the South, I think that like a softer Republican Party that teams up with the Democrats could work. I, I think that the national party brands are very toxic in, in these sorts of states. And I think that at a state level, this could work. At a national level, I don't think it works. But I do think it's a, at a state level, what the Evan McMullen thing, I think that is probably not going to work in Utah for, we don't we could do a whole podcast on it. But I think that concept of what Evan McMullen and the Democrats are doing in Utah has much more hope than like a federal third party so anyway that uh jungle primaries and the state-based uh you know kind of solutions are what i like the best yeah and i will say that rank choice i loved it in new york also from just like uh, a financial standpoint of not having to pay for runoffs uh and just get everybody out for the one yeah uh one event is good although i do is, I, it's like very hard isn't it very confusing you're like how many names do i fill out and then i'm and then why did eric adams win because he won on the third round and the ninth I, round i just i were in a q and conspiracy no world, i think you're right I, just, I do think that a little bit like one person one vote i i like better but i, I i'm open to it but that's my 
concern about. Well, and I, I, I think Palin is Jordan. Uh, Jordan, how is Palin? Your- Palin's afraid of it, and I think I heard her complaining recently, and it's like I think yeah. this is this is going to stop it. Where it's just like, who even can understand these things? And I'm like, I think if you t- if you watch the three minute video, you'd understand it. But I don't think we're going to get Americans to watch the three minute. Jordan, before we go, Jordan, how's the mayor doing up there? You know, he came in with a you know with a lot of hope. How how's he doing? I I just have not. I can't assess it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think New Yorkers are disappointed. I mean, New Yorkers always hate their mayor, so it's a right. job that nobody, no, nobody has liked a New York mayor since I've been here in the last twelve years. And I think Eric Adams was definitely seen as a, a much more moderate and a, um, a pro police mayor, which right. the progressive New Yorkers have not liked. And I do think. I think New York is not seen as getting the benefits of a tough-on-crime police mayor. I think right now the things that are making news in New York are uh, subways don't feel safe yeah. and and crime. And so you're like, if you're running on, on crime, do you have a plan? And if you don't, then are you just somebody who's wandering around? So he's he's sort of been – he hasn't he hasn't put a big imprint on New York, and I think that's that's tough for him. Hmm. Um. Well, this has been great. First of all, Tim, thank you for not only listening to us talk about local New York politics, but also a little bit of, you know, a little bit of religious civil war. It's always good to have a nice moderate to walk us through. Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, Happy to come back anytime. Really appreciate y'all having me. And um, uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime. Yeah, Go by why we did it. Why we did it. Yep, why we did it. A travelogue from the Republican Road to Hell. Available now to purchase wherever you get your books. Tim Miller, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, everybody. Jordan here, uh, your favorite host of the Kasich Klepper podcast. Thank you for listening this far. If you like what you hear, click like or thumbs up or whatever icon signifies a positive reaction. We love your ratings. We love your thoughts. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you want us to talk about because I'm tired of answering the governor's questions and I just prefer to answer yours. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Kasich and Klepper is a production of Treefort Media, hosted and executive produced by John Kasich and Jordan Klepper. Treefort Media's executive producers are Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and Matthew Kugler. Line producers, Oscar Guido. Associate producer, Lee Albanese. Audio direction by Tom Monahan, head of audio for Treefort. With production and editing by Maxwell Carney. Sound editing by Abigail Sullivan. Talent booking by Blythe Asher. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, Lindsay Whistler, Colin Motel, and Anastasia Ibrahim. This podcast is powered by ACAST.